Hello, my name is Banning and I get to serve as one of the pastors at the 8th Street Church. And I want to welcome you to This Week in the Way of Jesus, here in the 17th week after Pentecost, in the season of Ordinary Time. As a church, we are in our last week of a sermon series called The Generous Life. In our first week, Pastor Chris said this, Only a God that seems to be interested in my real life and how I go about living it in the most ordinary ways, only that God is worthy of my attention. It would seem that God is not just interested in our belief systems, our atonement theories, our souls, or even just our actions alone, but that God is uniquely and covenantally interested in the tangible, the skin and flesh, the embodied realities of our lives and our posturing in those realities. This is the God who in Jesus became flesh. So of course this God is interested in our real lives. This means our finances, our relationships, our hopes and dreams, our motivations, all of it is of interest to God. This God is invasive, but rather than hearing that as bad news, might God's invasiveness be good news for you and for me, and maybe especially for our neighbor. So this week in the way of Jesus, we invite you to the practice of praying the daily examine. Kingdom is coming. We are praying for it. The kingdom is coming. We are waiting for it. Kingdom is coming. We are working for it. The kingdom is coming. Hear the word of the Lord from Leviticus 19. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the Israelites and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. And you shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand idly by when the blood of your neighbor is at stake. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Teach us your ways. Teach us your ways as we learn from one another. Learn to love each other. Teach us your ways. Leviticus is a strange book. We read about these interesting rituals and rules and we're left wondering, what does any of this have to do with me? If what we said earlier, that, that God is indeed interested in the whole of our lives, what do these outdated laws have to do with me now? The authors and editors of the Old Testament were meticulous in their gathering and putting together of these stories. Nothing was by accident. And so if we zoom out a bit, we notice a few things. Of the first five books of the Old Testament, we often call this the Torah or the Pentateuch, Leviticus is smack dab in the middle. And even the text I read earlier sits in the middle section of Leviticus. As the Old Testament was pieced together, the editors went to great lengths to help people see these weren't just individual stories being told, but that there was something larger, grander, that God was doing among them. This was a unified story. And if we were to sit down and do a straight reading from Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy, we would hopefully notice that Leviticus is a bit of an interruption to the storyline. It may be considered narrative, but it feels disconnected from the rest of the story. And so we ask, why is that? Well, if we look at the end of the book of Exodus, which comes right before Leviticus, the story ends with Moses standing on the outside of the tabernacle this holy, sacred place where God was going to reside and dwell and lead among God's people. But there's a problem. Moses can't go inside. In fact, no one can. The people of God had gone to great lengths to prepare, to create, to construct this tabernacle to be a dwelling place for God. But no one could enter it. We fast forward to the opening verses in the book of Numbers, which comes directly after Leviticus, and now God is speaking to Moses inside the tent. Well, wait, what happened? Something had to change between the end of Exodus and the beginning of Numbers. Leviticus happens. Leviticus is an interruption, and not just an interruption to the nice storyline that's been created but an interruption to the way of life that the people of God had been living. Their lives were marked by idol worship, greed, and selfishness. I mean, sure, they liked this God, Yahweh. God, this God had done some unique and wonderful things for them. But they also liked what some of the other gods offered them as well. But this is not how the people of God were to live. 
their self-made way of life not only kept them from the fullness of God, because remember, they couldn't go inside the tent, the place of God's dwelling, but their self-made way of life also kept them from the fullness of humanity. Their way of life kept them from being fully human. And so Leviticus invites them into a new way of life. A life that's not marked by idol worship, greed, and selfishness, but a life marked by neighborliness, love, and generosity. This is what it means to be holy. You shall be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. As we actually read through Leviticus, we may still wonder, how are these archaic rules inviting us into a life that we might call holy? But rather than noticing the specifics of the law, notice the specificity of the whole thing. God isn't just interested in part of their lives being holy. God is interested in all of their lives being holy. Holiness is invasive. It not only wants to transform our outer behaviors, it wants to transform our inner dispositions. So it's not just a matter of, I did what was right, but also that I did it from a place that exudes love and neighborliness and generosity. I live in a spirit of holiness. John Wesley would call this holiness of both heart and life. Only a God interested in my real life is worthy of my attention. And so this week, we want to invite you to the practice of the daily examine. This is a prayer practice that invites you to take notice of the God activity in your life and offers you an opportunity to respond to that God activity in your life. The daily examine typically moves like this. There's five steps to it. You prayerfully acknowledge the Spirit's presence with you, and you ask the Holy Spirit to accompany you, help you to see as God might see the events, the moments, the relationships, the conversations, the opportunities, and the joys of the last 24 hours. And then you shift your focus to the day's gifts. When did grace find you? And as you acknowledge those gifts of grace, give thanks for them, because grace demands thanksgiving. And after we express gratitude, we ask what invitations or opportunities did God give me this day? And we want to pay particular attention to our emotions. When was I angry? When was I loving? When was I compassionate? When was I bitter? 
and what might God want to say to me through these emotions? And then we ask the Spirit to guide us to one particular moment from the day. It may involve a feeling, positive or negative. It may be a significant encounter with another person, a conversation, a, a lost opportunity. It may be something that's seemingly insignificant. But look at it and pray about it, either in gratitude, or praise, lament, repentance, or intercession. And as you close this time of prayer, turn your focus toward tomorrow. And so we think of our schedules and activities coming up, and we pay attention to how we feel about those things. Am I anxious? Am I excited? Am I doubtful? Allow those feelings to turn into prayer and ask God for what you need. Now, that may seem like a lot, but this is something that's meant to be done at the end of your day over five minutes or so. And I wonder if just for this week, as we practice the examine, we invite the Spirit to help us identify areas in our lives that do and don't exude neighborliness, love, and generosity. As we walk through the examine, we pay particular attention to what spaces and relationships and feelings and motivations might we grow more and more into a way of life that we might call holy? Might we actually invite God to be invasive in us? This past week, I had a moment where I just sort of instinctually started praying the examine. I was in a conversation with one of our neighbors without a home and was struggling to discern what does it mean to be a generous, loving, and neighborly person in this moment? And so I prayed, God, what does it look like to imitate you, to reflect who you are in this specific moment? And frankly, I don't know that my response was perfect. I think I was generous, but I don't know that it was the best thing that I could have done. But what praying the examine has done for me was helped me be more and more and more aware of the ways in which God is inviting me into the fullness of humanity to reflect and imitate this God who is holy, a way of life marked by love, generosity, and neighborliness. Thank you for joining us this week in the way of Jesus. Friends, the invitation is ours. You shall be holy because the Lord your God is holy. But the promise is God's. We shall be our being made holy because that is who God is. Grace and peace to you this week. Amen. Oh.